Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts. Good afternoon and welcome to Monday's Drive Home show with me, Rebecca Ricketts. Tonight's show is live from Dubai with an interview with Connie Maitland, a head of English in Mexico City. So a truly international show tonight. Listen as we discuss leading a department and teaching internationally. Call in or text the show to discuss your point of view too. Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to today's show with me, Rebecca, coming to you from Dubai. Now, it's lovely to be back. Last week I was off because I wasn't very well, but I am back and raring to go. Today, though, is a different show for me as I am going to be playing a pre-recorded interview with Connie Maitland, a head of English from Mexico City. Um, due to insane time difference, this was the best opportunity for us to come together and share our love of teaching and leading English while making the move to international teaching. Um, anyone that's listened to the show before, you know I can sometimes have the odd technical hitch, but I think we're going to be all right tonight. There we go. Positive thinking, always really good. Um, Connie spoke to me last week while she was at school, so it's definitely an authentic sounding interview, as you can hear the sounds of this school in the background, but please bear with us because you will be able to hear her just about okay. Um, I was at home at the time and somehow managed to have everybody and their dog ring my doorbell and then fire alarms going off. So not the greatest for me. However, I do apologize in advance because, you know, the best laid plans and all that. But ultimately, it was a great conversation with a really, really passionate educator and somebody who really believes, just like I do, in the power of moving internationally. So... Whilst I mention international teaching, um, personal plug, please check tests this week as many adverts for my lovely school in Dubai are being published, including two for the English department. We have vacancies because we are growing very quickly. And next September, we're going to be taking our first cohort into year 10. So if you've been listening to me a few times and I'm selling the Dubai dream or you're already in Dubai and you think the Sound of Safa British School is absolutely amazing, which trust me, it is. It's a lovely school. It's a great opportunity to work in a lovely school in a very, very vibrant part of Dubai that has a lovely family and community feel. So please apply. We are looking for teachers of many subjects. And I don't know if I mentioned, but two of those vacancies are for English. Um, so please have a look and if you've got any questions you can always message me on Twitter and I will be as helpful as I possibly can. So this week at school like many others we are focusing on anti-bullying week and more specifically what it means to be kind. Um, on Sunday because you know remember our week is Sunday to Thursday. Sunday gosh that was only yesterday where is time going? Um, students have written pledges and they've written pledges about being kind to each other, being kind to themselves, and just generally being a little bit more thoughtful to those around them. 
On Wednesday, I'm really excited about this, we're going to be performing random acts of kindness and we've been making all sorts of plans during form time to find a way to surprise staff and students. Now, I'm not usually one to make comments like this, but having seen some pretty shocking remarks and a few pylons over the last few days on Twitter, I feel that kindness is something that we should all be remembering. I love Twitter, I talk about it all the time, and in fact, Connie mentions it as well in our interview today. Um, Twitter gave me the springboard for the opportunity that I have here on Teachers Talk Radio. I've had the pleasure, just like so many of you that listen in, of interacting with so many inspiring educators and leaders, and the generosity of people and their resources has saved and challenged me on so many occasions. So I'm not going to stay on my soapbox for too long, but please be kind. We're teaching young people to be kind. We're teaching young people, you know, how to be good people. Let's model that ourselves. And also, when people are there trying to support us in an already challenging and complex profession, the last thing that we need is people infighting between ourselves. So that's it. That is Miss Ricketts' lecture of the week. And that's probably the closest you're ever going to hear to my teacher voice on here. <laughs> so I'm going to get on with the rest of tonight's show. Um, I'm not really looking forward to having to hear my voice back on myself. Um, so I apologize for that. Um, for the rest of you who do listen to my voice every week, thank you very much. Um, and as I've already said, I'm not really known for my technical prowess. So this is a bit of a risk and it's a huge thank you to Connie, but I think I've cracked it. Um, and I'm going to go for it anyway. Because the interview runs through, and as I said, it runs through and you get all of it in its glory, including my doorbell and a fire alarm. Um, I'm going to play the ads, then I'm going to play the news, and then I'm going to take us straight into our interview with Connie in Mexico, in New Mexico, New Mexico, sorry, Mexico City, see I'm garbling, for our interview that we had with each other last week. Um, please, though, keep up with the chat if you've got any questions. I will have time at the end to go through them and go over any points that Connie and I covered in our interview last week. So, ads, news, and then Connie Maitland from Mexico. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more, and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. A 
new documentary will follow primary and secondary schools in Nepal and Scotland as they join forces to learn from each other and tackle climate change. Interfilm Scotland and Chapromo Studios in Nepal will film the documentary which will focus on the experiences which each have had of climate change using an interdisciplinary approach. Students are conducting research by testing air and water pollution, CO2 levels, temperature and rainfall, as well as undertaking litter analysis and assessing biodiversity. Acting principal teacher at Stob Hill Primary in Midlothian, Donna Hanley said, the project enabled pupils to learn about climate change in a real life context. She said, with COP26, it is imperative that we make use of the Connecting the Climate Challenge programme and maintain this momentum to build on people's understanding and motivation to protect our planet for our future generations. Retired teacher Carolyn Coster from Bradford is taking her dog, who has been assessed by the charity Pets as Therapy, into schools to help children with their reading. The head teacher of Mepershall Academy said it has been amazing having Mrs Coster and Duke into school. She said, Lots of children struggle with reading. It's very difficult for them to read in front of people. But for some reason, when they read to the dog, all that stress is taken away from them and it really supports them with their learning. Mrs Coster lost her hands and feet after Covid led to sepsis in March 2020. This has been your daily education news briefing. Okay, so welcome back to today's show. In a minute, I am going to go live with my interview with Connie Maitland from last week. But I did just want to say, having heard that little snippet, I'd love a reading dog. I really, really would. I think that would literally be the biggest teacher goal of my life. So if anybody is listening in Dubai and knows how I can get a teaching reading dog into school, please contact me on Twitter um, because that would literally be my teaching dream. Anyway, enough of that. Really excited to get going with this and to introduce my interview with Connie Maitland, Head of English in Mexico. So good afternoon and welcome to Monday's Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, where I'm joined by Connie Maitland today from Humanitary School in Mexico. And it's really wonderful to connect with a fellow head of English who's in a much more international setting. So hi, Connie, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having me, I'm very excited. I'm very excited to be doing my first pre-recorded interview, so fingers crossed everyone can hear this. Okay, as we're now going live on Monday's show. So, could you kick us off, please, by telling us all about yourself and your career so far, please? Yes. Um, so, this is my fifth year of teaching, um, and I trained with Teach First um, back in like 2016. And um, I did that at a very challenging school in Swindon, um, 
near to Bristol. Um, and I stayed there for three years. So I did the two years for Teach First and then I stayed an extra year. Um, and then after those three years, I decided to go international, I guess. And at first I wanted to just stay in Europe, um, I guess, because I was really young and uh, I was a bit scared and I didn't know. Anything. I had never been really outside of Europe and I was going alone. Um, so I figured that I would go in Europe. So I was applying to schools um, all over Europe, really. And I just didn't, I just didn't get any. It was so competitive. I think it, I also just didn't have that much experience. Um, so I really was desperate to travel, travel the world. And so I wasn't going to stay in the UK. Um, so yeah, I took my, I broadened my search and I applied to some schools in Asia and some schools over here in Latin America. Um, and I got a job in Tokyo and the Dominican Republic and Mexico. And I had this like mad day uh, where I had like decide what I was going to do um, and one of the big reasons I was leaving the UK was because I just really wanted to travel and I was sort of too curious to stay in one spot um, and I figured that moving to another island um, the Dominican Republic probably didn't lend itself that great to traveling um, so then I had Tokyo and Mexico City and I honestly flipped a coin one day <laughs> like I I had no idea which one to pick. So, um, yeah, so I ended up in Mexico City, um, and that was two years ago, and I was team, in a team of five people, um, and my head of department um, ended up leaving at the end of last academic year. And so in March, um, I had an interview for the head of department um, alongside like my two best friends, which was very odd. Um, who are in my department with me, and I ended up getting the job, so I found out in April. Um, yeah, and now it's November, and I've been ahead of department for about four months. We start in August, and I love it. I really, really love it. So, yeah, so that's me and my, my career. That's fantastic. There's loads of things that I'm going to want to touch upon with everything that you've just said. Uh, but can I just take you back to your Teach First training, please? Because um, it's always really great for people to get lots of different variety in terms of training options when they're thinking about teaching. What made you decide to go down that particular route? Because I, I guess I wanted to like give back to those that needed perhaps me the most. And I felt like Teach First was a good way of really getting to the bottom of honestly some of this poverty I guess that we have in the UK um, and I was right on the front line. I, I remember bringing in sanitary products for some of my students because they can afford it, um, like a spare pair of shoes for a, a child that you know that couldn't afford shoes and I remember just thinking uh, whoa like the responsibility that is on my shoulders right now um, and I really enjoyed that for a while. Um, like I, for those three years, I was, uh, we're all a lot more than just teachers, I guess, but I felt like very needed and very, um, valued at the school by the kids. Um, and I really wanted that, I guess. Um, but that is just, it's sad, but it's so draining. Like I, I just couldn't keep up that whole role of all of the things that come under the umbrella of working at a very difficult school in the UK um, so it led to me like thinking whoa I need a change 
but I'm really glad I did teach first. I think, um, I mean, it's so hard. It's, it's much harder than moving abroad internationally, in my opinion. That was a breeze compared to like what teach first was. Um, but because I remember my first day, like September, you know, September the 5th to go in and I had like a bottom set year 10 um, and I'd never done it before and I had no one else in the room. It was just me. And I just remember thinking, how am I going to do this? But I did it. I did cry at the end of the day, but I did it <laughs> and I got through it. And it, I just had this sense of like pride, I guess. Like um, I've, I've just achieved this thing, this huge thing that I didn't think I could do. Um, and my degree wasn't in um, teaching at all. I, I had a degree from Lancaster University in English language and linguistics. Uh, I just I just love English, I guess. I, the kids can tell that as well. That's always what they tell me. Um, and yeah, I just kind of learned on the spot. I guess my tra trajectory was just exponential like I I've never learned so much in such a short amount of time um, and the support I had I was linked to Bristol University was good they would come in and observe me and I had um, an, uh, uh, like a support in school as well and that was helpful but the biggest support was um, my friend she was called Lauren she's called Lauren and she was also doing teach first with me and her um, classroom was opposite mine and we were going through everything at the same time and just having like a confidant that you could share everything with was so helpful for me because um, at first I was like oh there's another like teach first girl doing English like is this a I didn't want this to be a competition I hate like I'm so not competitive and I was really worried about that and then she just disclosed the same worry to me and I was like oh we're like best friends now, and we're still like really good friends she's always like the first person I go back and see so I'm so grateful for Teach First for, yeah, bringing me Lauren. It's been great. I think it's that thing, isn't it? Like the friends that you make during your training time are the friends that kind of stay with you for life because they kind of see your best moments and they see your worst moments. I'm exactly yeah. the same. When I go home, I call her my work wife and she's still my work wife and, you know, work wife, work husband. And, yeah, she's one of the first people that I see as well. But it is, you're right, I think... It's very intense. I'm always kind of in awe of people that went down that route because I felt like when I was teacher training, I needed the hand-holding of the PGCE. By the end of the PGCE, I was a little bit over it, and I was like, oh, just let me be in the classroom. I'm sick of writing essays. But that idea of, like you said, first day in September, walking in bottom set year 10, I mean, that is one hell of a way to cut your teeth. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm looking back, and I... I almost, I think because I was so young, I sort of was so naive. I didn't know what I was getting myself in for. Like if I knew now, I'm not sure. <laughs> like <laughs> I would recommend teach first, but wow, the resilience needed is, is incredible. Definitely. But like you say, that resilience has helped you when you thought about international teaching. And, you know, we'll come on to that a little bit, certainly about the advice that you would give to people. But that idea of needing to be resilient, especially at the beginning, I suppose, of something like Teach First has helped you with that. I think the fact that you said that moving internationally is actually easier than Teach First might be music to some people's ears who are listening. Um, so we've kind of touched on this already, but why did you make the move into international teaching? You've, you've covered a couple of ideas, but what, what were your drivers? Um, sanity. Honestly, um, I was scared that I wasn't going to stay in the profession. 
already and that was me like being a teacher for like two years I was like whoa I the burnout here um I'm I'm seeing that it's going to happen to me and I am so in love with teaching and English English literature that I just can't imagine doing anything else so it scared me that I would feel like I couldn't keep this up um and so I needed to remove myself from the restrictions I found myself under having teaching in the UK um and put myself in a situation where I could flourish and be the teacher I want to be because in the UK I just I just couldn't be like I I couldn't plan extremely um thorough lessons because there was no time to do that and I couldn't um, mark all of the essays with the amount of feedback I wanted to because there was no time um so that was a big one um I also the class sizes I know there's a lot of research that says it doesn't make a difference but boy I would disagree like I had classes of 35 in Swindon and here I have a class of eight um and it's incredible the amount of conversation I can have with each child every lesson um makes me feel like I'm being a better teacher than I have ever been before um, so that was a big drive. Like one of the questions I asked in my interview for the school was how big are your class sizes? Um, and it was, it was like music to my ears to hear that their biggest was 15. Um, and for, for the first like year here, I was teaching, uh, the younger years. And so there were, their classes were bigger, like 15, but now I'm teaching the older kids and, um, yeah, there's like eight, eight boys in a group and it's mega easy compared. Um, so the sanity of that. I also found myself, I guess it's linked to a bit what I've said before, like falling a bit out of love with teaching. And, and I hated that. I just, I wanted to still feel the passion that I felt on that day in September when I had that meltdown with um, that year 10 group. But, and it was, I was losing it. I was kind of, yeah. And I, and I wanted to have that passion back um, like I had before. And I, I thought moving to another school in the UK was a risk because I thought, I appreciate I've only, um, sorry about all this noise, <laughs> I appreciate I've only been in like one school in the UK. So I do think my vision, when I say teaching is like overwhelming and there's a lot of burnout, I suppose I've only had the experience of one school. So that's a huge generalization, but um, I didn't want to risk it. Um, I did. I couldn't be in that space again where I was working on Saturdays and perhaps Sundays um, and every night after school. Um, and then that coupled with the fact that I was just bursting to travel, it kind of just made sense. Like I was like, well, um, I'm kind of done for the moment with teaching in the UK. So what else do I want to do? I want to remain a teacher, but I also love traveling. Let's just combine the two. Um, but it was never my initial intention. Like I didn't become a teacher to talk definitely not like, but I honestly felt forced by the system in the UK to try something different. Um, and I am so, so bad that I did because my mental health, my work-life balance is just incredible. Like I haven't, I've taken work home probably twice in the whole time that I've been here, um, for like an hour. And I, so I get into school at 8.15 and I finish at 3.30 and it's done. Um, so it, it's a job, like, which is what I wanted teaching to be. I didn't want it to be a, like a lifestyle. I didn't want to be one of those teachers that's, you know, staying in school till really late and all they talk about with their friends and their partner is work. And I just didn't want to do that. 
Um, so yeah, so I, I cut my losses. I moved to a country where I didn't speak any of the language at all. I didn't know anybody. It's a 12 hour flight away from home. Um, and I just thought, right, love, let's see how this goes. Um, so yeah, looking back, I can't believe I was that brave. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of it, I think, I think was naivety. But I'm grateful for that naivety, honestly, because this is the best decision I've ever made. I think that's the point, isn't it? The bigger the risk, the bigger the payoff. Um, I'm just going to remind people that are listening that Connie's actually so many hours. Well, I can't even work this out because Connie's speaking to me. It's currently 6.45 p.m. in Dubai because this is pre-recorded and it's 8.45 for Connie all the way in Mexico. So she's speaking to us from work today, which I'm really grateful for. So thank you. If you can hear noise in the background, it's very much a school day for you right now. Um, you just said something. You said so many things there that have resonated with me and other people that have been on the show in terms of that work-life balance and that idea of teacher burnout and the fact that teachers just perpetually seem to be getting hammered by the press, by the government all the time, and it's killing something that has to be a passion because we're on all the time, aren't we, where there's nowhere to hide. And teaching internationally, I feel really passionately about getting rid of the stigma about it because it doesn't mean that we want, we're looking for easy street. It means we're actually looking to do our job in a condition that is actually conducive to us working to the best of our ability. I couldn't agree more with that. I, it's not, yeah, it's not that I wanted an easier life. It's that I wanted to give the best I could to the pupils I was teaching. And I was giving 50% of myself because of the conditions that I was teaching in. Whereas now, I'm like 120% every day. And like you said, teaching should be a job, not a lifestyle. I've written that down because I just think that's such an important thing for us all to remember. We can get swept up in it. But the fact that, you know, you've got that amazing work-life balance, you've got your weekends back, you've got your evenings, it means you can explore and enjoy the lifestyle that you've now created for yourself, which... Again, if anybody's listening, you know, and you're thinking about international teaching, I fixate obviously quite a lot about the UAE and the Middle East because that's my experiences, which is why it's so nice to have a different perspective on the show. Um, so, huge risk, massive, massive reward. Um, could you share your experience with people that are listening, people who might be thinking, well, I'd like to do it, but how do I do it? You know, how did you make that move into international teaching? Um, so it was around this time in my third year of teaching. I realized, I think I said I'm in my fifth year of teaching. I'm not, I'm in my sixth year of teaching. Sorry. I forget how long I've been since my third year, not my second. But I was in my third year of teaching in the UK. And it was around this time, November, where I thought, nope, I'm done. Like I went into the school year, I came back after October half term and I was like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and I thought, okay, so what are my options? Where do I look? Um, and I started looking at the TES website, which for international teaching I could not recommend more highly. Um, and they were already putting out um, adverts for the following academic year. So from the December, I was applying to these um, different jobs in Europe and not getting, but I didn't let that get me down. I was like, come on, this resilience that you've learned in Teach First, use it. Um, and then I thought, okay, I'm going to go um, search more widely. And 
the, my job here that was in Mexico City, started advertising in February. Um, so this is, a, I was going to talk about this in some of my pieces of advice, but apply early. Like I can't stress that enough. Because it's international, the um, the hires have to just be a bit more on it. Because, like, my head teacher, for example, has to fly to London, and so there's just a lot more logistics that they have to sort out than if you're recruiting, um, like, internally from the same country. Um, so I applied in February for this job, and also I would say, like, just apply to, like, I applied to a bunch, maybe like fifteen. Um, and I found that helpful because I got loads of feedback about, because I asked, why am I not getting any further for these jobs in Europe? They actually gave us some really good feedback, so, um, so I'd recommend doing that. Um, and then I had an interview in London, um, I guess with international teaching. They don't actually, well, for me, they didn't actually see me teach in any of the, the three jobs that I got. None of them, because how do they really? I mean, they could set up like a Zoom call in the back of your classroom, but it's not very natural. and. So they don't actually see you teach, um, at least in my experience. And so I had a very intensive interview with a head teacher of the secondary school at my school and the head teacher of the primary school. Um, and prepare yourself for that because they ask you a lot of questions which aren't, uh, I would say, normal for a British uh, like school to ask you. There's a lot of, because you're moving your life here, there's a lot of like, like personal questions like how's your health because in Mexico City the altitude here is is so high um, that they need to check that you're like gonna be able to live there you know um, how would your family feel if you're moving all the way across the world so it's, it's very it's kind of a different interview to, to that that I was used to um, and then I found out in like the March or April I found out quite early I think it was the March that I was gonna go and at first, I was just like reeling. I was like, this is amazing. I'm actually doing this. Got straight on like um, the internet and Instagram and like found all these amazing places in Mexico that I wanted to visit and made like mood board and stuck it up in my bedroom. And <laughs> I like went full in. Um, and I would, I would recommend doing that. Just like getting yourself excited for the place you're going. Because um, I imagine a lot of people are moving for the job, but also largely for the place they're going to. Be that even if that's just a different place to what they're used to. Because I really didn't know that much about Mexico. Like before I was like, it's colourful, there's some nice food, and it's dangerous. Like that, those are the three like stereotypes I guess that we all have of Mexico. And so my family were like, Mexico? Um, why would we want to go? Why would the 20, I don't know how old I was there, 23, 23-year-old? 23 um, 24. Why would a 24-year-old want to move there? Um, and I just remember them doubting me a little bit about my choice of country. Um, but they came around to my way of thinking, like, I guess they were always going to let me do what I wanted to do. Um, and one good thing that settled my nerves, because as you get, the closer you get to it and you're sending off your documents for your visa and, and you're actually going and you're getting the emails from your school, the nerves kind of increase because you can't believe you're actually doing it. Because at first it's kind of a bit like a dream and you're like, I probably won't even get the job. Like, it's fine, I'll just stay in the UK. And then as the emails come through, you're like, whoa, okay, in four months I'm moving my whole life to a place I don't know anything about. Am I crazy? But I used Twitter, um, reached out to two women who were already in Mexico City and that was excellent. So I spoke to, I'm still friends with them actually. Um, and then now teaching back in the UK and the other one is teaching in Asia. 
but that was so helpful because I could ask them like I asked them like what's your perception of my school um what should I pack like what's the weather like um do I need to bring anything in the UK that I can't get in Mexico all of these like practical questions um that these two women were just angels at like giving me advice um so I would say that I'd like reach out I think Twitter is an amazing platform um, I mean, I guess that's why I'm on here talking to you today um, about my experience. But you yeah, use the people that you have there and someone will link you up um, with somebody that's already there. So that, that would be uh, some advice I guess I would give. Um, yeah, and then I got here, they pay for your flights and I got here like a week before school started in August. Um, and I was on the plane and... I was crying because I was like, terrible decision. What have you done? You've left all familiarity and comfort that you've known for 24 years and you're doing something stupid. Go home. And this was the narrative that was going in my head for like 10 hours of this flight. I know this sounds cheesy, but on the day I got on the plane and my head teacher came to hug me and I was like, this is the best decision I have ever made. And I just knew, I just instantly knew, like I got off the plane and I had this like heat like hit me and the warmth of my head teacher, and I also didn't realize that I was on the flight with a bunch of other um, teachers who had just been recruited. And we hadn't connected or anything, but we all met my head teacher, and we were like, oh, you're a humanitarian too, oh, cool. Um, and they were just like my people who uh, went right from the UK. Um, I just felt like, oh, I've met my family. I've met my international family out here, and it was really immediate. Um, so yeah, so that's, so that's my experience, I guess, with moving my life to Mexico. An amazing account of loads of advice there as well, which I will get you to recap at the end of our discussion today, just because it's so helpful for people to hear those sorts of things. And that thing you just said right at the end, my international family, I think that fear of being thrown, it's not for long, is it? You meet people who are like-minded, expat communities, whether it's people in teaching or from something that you enjoy doing. But because everybody's in the same situation, you just kind of mesh together, don't you? And you find your way, but your friends definitely become your family, I find, as soon as you start moving abroad. Yeah, definitely. And um, that, so I moved in the August and COVID kind of hit like the December, January. Um, that meant that like, I wasn't really meeting people outside of my work context. So it just knitted us together even more because I didn't know like anybody else. Um, so yeah, I think that like bonded us in a, in a way. So I've never been to Mexico and I don't know how many people listening today have been What's life like, please, in living in Mexico City? Honestly, a dream. Like, all of this spiel that we get fed by the media, in my experience, is not reflected in, in the city. We hear that, like, there's lots of kidnappings and muggings, but I have honestly felt safe the whole time that I have been here. Um, granted, I don't, like, wave my phone around when I've ordered an Uber um, when I'm standing on the side of the road. But yeah, I've, I've never felt unsafe here. Um, the food, the culture, the people, the weather makes such a difference to my mood. Um, I would say it's very polluted, and I do miss the British countryside a lot. Um, that's the thing I would say I miss the most. Um, 
but you find ways around that. Like I just invested in an air purifier, you know, all of those things that you just don't have to do in the UK. Um, yeah, it's amazing. The, it's extremely different. The way they live their life, Mexicans are very different, I would say, or quite different to British people. Um, so I've learned about kind of fitting into another culture. Um, Spanish has been a huge challenge. So I only really knew how to say buenos dias when I arrived. Not even really that, because I learned German at school, not not Spanish. Um, and I have the time, because I have the work balance to have Spanish tutoring every day of the week except Friday. Um, and that has just opened up my mind. Like I thought I was extremely open-minded and, but no, but like learning a language for me has been like a new lifeline, um, incredibly interesting. And it's, I'm teaching English because it's not their language. I'm teaching many Mexicans at this school, although there are a few Europeans, not many. Um, no one's first language is English. And so I'm in their shoes as well because my first language is in Spanish and I'm having to learn Spanish um, every day. So it's reflected in my teaching. I think of how I teach these kids English. Um, that's very interesting. Um, and the traveling opportunities. Yes, there has been COVID. Mexico hasn't, um, I would say of like a lot of the countries, they didn't really change that much. And I have lots of opinions about that, but there we go. Um, and we shut down like from March 2020 to June. And then the rest of the time I've been at school, all the restaurants have been open, you can travel. Um, so yes, I don't think that's an amazing thing, but it has enabled me to continue traveling in a way that not many other people have done. So I've done probably, I've seen more than, I have a Mexican friend who I met here, and um, he's seen more of Mexico than he has. <laughs> so, so that's been interesting. Um, yeah, and I, I guess with international teaching, at least in my situation, I do have quite a lot of holiday. I have five weeks to go um, until my almost four, four week um, Christmas break, which I'm very excited for. I'm actually coming back to the UK. But normally I would spend that traveling all the way around Mexico. Um, and now I've been here two years and I feel like I've seen most of the places. I'm really excited to explore like Costa Rica um, and Colombia and Rio and all these different places. Um, so it's a really good base for traveling to all these other places. And I feel like because it is so far away from the UK, I'm just not going to come here. Like you said, like you've not been to Mexico. Probably not that many people listening have been to Mexico because it's just so far. It's so expensive. Like you just, I mean, and, that, and that's an advantage. Like my family have come and visited me yet. And that's also because of COVID, but I've been here for two years. Um, and probably if I was in Spain, like, you know, that wouldn't have happened. Um, but it, it does mean that I um, get to visit all these countries that probably if I'd have stayed in Europe, I, I honestly just would never have been able to go and see. So I would say the opportunities in Mexico City are endless and um, I really made the most of my tickets here. I think that's the thing that's really important, isn't it? It travels your driving factor and I know we've all been pretty much, I know it sounds amazing that you did still manage to have some opportunities, but the actual driving factor of making sure that you do it, like I'd never expect one second, so sorry. Sorry about that. I 
come back. But yes, travel being a driving factor is, you know, you've got to try and stick to it as much as you possibly can. Like I'd never been to this side of the world. So I don't know how long I'll be here. So I'm very similar to you in that respect. It's like do as much as I can this side of the world in case I'm never here again. So, you know, you've got all of Latin America open to you to be like, right, where, where do I go? So where's on your list? Costa Rica, usually the cloud forest in Costa Rica when I go to you. Um, my friend from there is actually planning to come out and meet me in Mexico City and then go there together, so that'll be fun. Um, I want to go to Bogota and everywhere in Colombia um, because I've just heard it's like frantic and lively and, and quite different to Mexico City uh, in their food and want to try a lot of food. Um, I managed to get to El Salvador just before COVID and that was a totally different experience. Um, I have to say though, all of these places that I go, nowhere does nowhere compares to Mexico. Like, not even close. I would say that, and every, all the other teachers that I talk to here who have been and stayed and, you know, they've lived in different countries, they always end up coming back here. They always end up coming back to Mexico City. They say, I don't know, there's something about Mexico that just draws you back. Um, I think living an expat life here is is pretty cushy. Like, there's a lot of us doing it. Um, and, yeah, I've heard it's one of the best places to go to, so. So anybody that's thinking about it, you would thoroughly recommend making the jump and move to Mexico. Yes. And don't be afraid that you don't know any Spanish or you've ever been to Latin America. Or, no, with both your feet. Fantastic. So we have kind of touched on this already. Um, but what have you found has been the main comparisons between international education and teaching in the UK? I would say the assessment. So we, there's no GCSEs. Personally, we don't do IGCSE. I know that lots of schools do. So the first form of assessment that our students do is the IB. They do the International Baccalaureate um, DP program. And they sit their final exam when they're 18. This means that there is way more freedom, opportunity to be perhaps a little bit more creative when they're younger. Because there's not these like exams booming because they don't have them until their final year when they're 18. Um, I appreciate that many other international schools still do um, CSE equivalents. Um, I just think in general there's a lot more freedom in what we get to teach here than when I was in the UK. I felt like in the UK I was teaching friends for an AQ exam and I was the kids were like memorizing quotations and for me that's not I don't want, that's not important. Like kids, I don't want the kids to memorize quotations from Romeo and Juliet. And I think the IB is an excellent qualification because it gets you, it, I think it creates a more well-rounded individual. For example, we'll do, we do film analysis in English. Um, the other day we watched Mean Girls and like linked it to Persephonis, which we we're watching and talked about like adolescence and growing up and coming of age. And I just think the the exam system in the UK is extremely restrictive and not particularly useful um, for like real life application. Where so I think teaching the IB and I know that some schools and um, like I went to a high in the UK and they also taught the IB. I just think a lot of international schools um, use the IB more so than um, in the UK, and I think it's an excellent 
um, program, I really do. Um, and the lack of exams really enables these kids to be a bit more creative. Like they, they go out and they make a mini movie and that's English, you know, and we talk about their choices of lighting. And so it's just a more like well-rounded subject in my opinion. Um, and so I would say that's one of the biggest differences. Um, another difference I would say is that I learn a lot more from the kids here than I do in the UK because they're different to me because they're from a different culture and they come here with a different language, um, have different lens on literature, which makes me question my thoughts. Whereas in the UK, we've had the same sort of like lifespan upbringing. We're not questioning each other because we know the same thing and we have the same like life experience really. Um, and so that's interesting because I feel like I am learning a different way to look at things, different perspectives. Um, compared to in the UK where it was quite streamlined because we'd all gone through the same system. So that was interesting. And finally, I would say, um, and this is like really um, logistics and pragmatics, there's just more money. Um, I didn't really want to talk about money, but there's a lot more money at my school than there ever was in my school in the UK. And as a head of department, I can utilize this budget really. No one, no, there's no questions asked. Um, what I've done, for example, is we've created a reading, um, independent reading program. This year, we've tried to make it a bit better. And like for the rewards, we didn't know what to give them to keep them motivated. So um, I had an idea because I used to run a company for um, creating book boxes. And I was like, why don't I just create like book boxes for these kids? And I give them a book if they, you know, depending on what their reward they've won. And then I create like um, a theme around that book and make book boxes for them. And because of the money, there's no questions asked. It's like, what do you need? Go and spend it. And the time I have to create these boxes, um, I just would never have had in the UK. Like the thought of me doing that three years ago is nuts. I barely have time to talk to every child in the class. Like, never mind. Say, I think you've done an amazing job with your reading. Let's sit down and talk about it. What about this? You know, I just think it's a totally different world. It's, it's, yeah, it's hard to compare two experiences. Um, because one is survival and one is like rising. Um, and I, I needed to exit that, that survival because it's no fun and I, and I wasn't going to last. Um, and, and I guess lastly, which links to what I just said, um, international teaching has enabled me to be the teacher, the girlfriend, the friend, the daughter, sister, the student, um, I really want to be. In the UK, I honestly was giving like 70% of myself to the people that I loved and I wasn't okay with that. I wasn't okay with settling for that. So those are the biggest differences. I think, again, when you said one is survival and one is thriving, I think that is so, so telling. Like everybody that I've spoken to, no matter what the setting, when they've been teaching internationally, is pretty much saying the same thing. And I think you've just, like, summed that up just so eloquently and... Those book boxes sound magical. They sound amazing. Um, one of the big things I'm trying to do with my new school and my new role this year is like develop a reading culture. So I'm now like, oh, I think I need to know more about these book boxes. They sound fabulous. Um, you also mentioned at the very start of our interview that you are newly into the role of head of department. Um, what's that like, leading English internationally? Um, what do you enjoy about it? This is a huge question, but what do you find the most challenging in your new role? Um, okay, so 
thing uh, that I really enjoy about it, and this is largely because of the freedom and come in my in my experience of working in an international school, is that I have the time to sit down and look at curriculum and like redesign elements that I know aren't good enough. Um, I have enough time. The team has enough time that we meet. We have a department meeting on a Monday, and then every other week we have one-on-one -on -one meetings with me and every member of my team which is just like a dream. I can talk to them about their marking. I can come and observe their lessons. What kids are you worried about this week? The conversations that we can have. Um, and it makes me feel like I'm a very supportive head of department because of the time that I'm allowed um, in this role. If I, was, I can't imagine being a head of department in the, in the UK and I, I'm not sure I would, I would honestly be up for it. It scares me. Um, just couldn't have those one-on-one -on -one conversations and check in with all my team because the most important thing is them. I want to make sure that they feel supported um, and and happy in what they're doing. Um, and so just having the time to have those one-on-one -on -one meetings has been wonderful. I've also done um, a lot of training. This again, cut time and a little bit money. Like if I go to the head teacher and say, there's this amazing course on how to make the IB teaching more creative. Can I do it? No questions asked. Of course you can. Um, and I like four days, two weeks ago, timetable, because there's so many people to cover me that it's not really a problem. Um, and I learned so much. Um, and then I take these ideas and then spread them out throughout the department. And we talk about how everyone can use them. Um, and I just feel like I've seen, um, my head of department in the UK, that wasn't happening. And that's not her, like that was, that's the system that a head of department in the UK has to work in. Again, I think it's a bit more like survival, just get through it. Um, whereas I can have the time to create things and talk about things, discuss things. It means that I never make a, make some decisions on my own, but largely we are a team where um, we take the time to debate all of our decisions because we have the time. Um, so I would say those are the, like, things I enjoy about being an international head of department. I would say the challenges are uniting all of these different um, like cultures that are in our team. We've got we've got a bunch of British people, we all preserve some people from the US. And I've noticed that there's quite a big difference in um, how US teachers, perhaps UK teachers are, are taught to, to be a teacher. Um, and so uniting those ideas to come to a conclusion of like what we're going to do or how we're going to solve this problem. That's tricky. I would say that's trickier than um, doing that back home because I always tend to end up like agreeing with the British people just because that's what we know. Um, but it's interesting to have others' ideas and like because it's not always the best idea, obviously, it's interesting to bounce ideas of people who come from a totally different perspective and totally different training to us. Um, but that's tricky. I would say like me to a happy medium between people from all around the world is quite difficult. Um, and I would say, that although the freedom is amazing, um, the lack of structure can sometimes be challenging and quite overwhelming. Um, because we're, for example, like we're only in our second year of IB. Honestly, not many of us know what we're doing. Um, so we've had to like, learn on the job quite a lot. And I feel like because a lot of international schools are quite new and probably not as well established as many um, traditional schools back in the UK. It's not so much like history and structure and resources to fall back on. 
So I had done a lot of um, like learn scratch and planning from scratch. But that's okay because I have the time to. But I can't imagine if I was in a, a school like this um, and had the timetable that I had three years ago, I don't know what I would be doing. So, so it balances it out. Um, the challenges are that uniting everyone is very tricky because we have different backgrounds. Um, and that there's not so much to fall back on. Like there's not schemes of work really um, for the IB sort of guessing and the IB are very vague about guidance that they give to teachers. So we're trying our best. Um, whereas in the UK, I felt quite like a lot more guided. I wasn't, I was given some lesson plans, um, but I was given like schemes of work and it was like, you can adapt them if you want. Whereas here it's like, good luck. Um, so that's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> Um, you've mentioned about the IB, um, but what is your favourite thing to teach in the classroom? Creative thing. Um, blackout poetry, I did that yesterday with some, with those boys that I was telling you about that I teach, we're doing skin sign, um, and I decided I want to do some blackout poetry with them, and then, and they're not the most creative bunch, I hope they're not here, they're not here, <laughs> and, um, I I wanted them to be to feel like they can create, and so I I thought blackout poetry was a good way of doing that because they're not they're not like writing the poem, you know, they're blacking out the parts of the text that someone else has written that they don't want to use, so that what's left is a poem, and um, that was a really nice lesson yesterday. Um, we do a lot of photography. The kids all have their own iPads, which is amazing for like technology, and so in a lesson for the IB, for example. Um, they have to know how to analyze articles, film, um, photography, adverts. And so we were looking at um, analyzing photography. And I was like, okay, go use your iPads, go and take an interesting photo, come back, and we'll talk about it. Um, so I just think the creativity that, um, that, that we teach here, I think, is really good. And that's, I think we can be so creative because there aren't any exams until they are 18. So, um, yeah. Comes with its disadvantages because they get to 18 and they freak out and they've never sat an exam and you know there's all of that to deal with but largely it's great um and yeah i think the creativity that that, that we teach the little kids and even up to the ib really because i think the ib is much more creative than a levels or gcse's in the uk so definitely creative writing it sounds wonderful and it sounds so nice that you've got all those opportunities to really kind of explore and develop and you know get the students out there and thinking about different ways of being creative like you say not being tethered to like an exam timeline because you know that pressure or whatever kind of pressure it's going to look like and who knows every year from the next at the minute but that pressure is just unbearable for you and the students isn't it mm -hmm. yeah and I need I needed I didn't want to lead in a uh, condition like, like that because I don't really believe in um, teaching for exams even though I know that we sort of feel inclined that we have to so if I was telling my teachers in the team we need to teach I remember we had to we had to like have a set lesson where we were learning how to answer paper one question three or paper and I wow that's not teaching for me that's like sucking everything amazing out of English and that, I don't know it's just not it's not creative and I didn't want to lead a team where I wasn't really believing in the vision. I like that, where you were believing in the vision, but now where you are, you very much are believing in the vision and everything that you're doing, which 
just sounds absolutely wonderful. Um, so that's your favourite things to teach creative writing. Well, on to my biggest passion, which is literature, and you mentioned this as well. Um, what text do you most love to share with students? I was very particular with text because, you know, it may not be a novel. Um, so, yeah, what do you love to share with the students? Mine is a graphic novel, um, and it's Persepolis. I mentioned this earlier, and we teach this in the Jersey. Um, it's written by Marjan Satrapi, who is Iranian. Um, and I didn't really know anything about this text until about a year ago when it was like placed in my lap and it was like, good luck, you're going to go teach this. And um, I have learned so much. I didn't know anything about Iran or the Iranian revolution or, or particular treatment of women in Iran, the Iran war. Um, and for me, it's been a huge learning curve um, because the context is so different to like a Victorian novel um, that's set in the UK, for example. Um, it's really taking me outside of my car because I had to learn about like missiles and Saddam Hussein and all this stuff that um, I didn't know that much about. I was intrigued about, but I didn't know that much about. Um, so I feel like I've sort of gone, I feel like a student actually, like a lot of the times in the IB classes, like they are as much of a teacher really as I am. Um, yeah, and they say, hey, we're we going to talk about the U.S. involvement in the um, Iran-Iraq war. And I'm like, well, well, we could. Do you want to? And, you know, and then they talk about their, like, passions because they're really interested in politics. And um, so I think for me, Persephone um, is my favorite text to teach because there's just so many, like, avenues to go down and explore in terms of the context of teaching Persephone. And it's a graphic novel also, which I think uh, I don't normally like graphic novels. I'm a bit frustrating and slow. But they, the Sutrapi writes, um, it's split into three different books and it spreads across her like sci-fi, um, is extremely engaging and yeah, quite um, shocking to read. Yeah, and then we coupled that with Mean Girls, which is like the best movie on the planet. So, you know, you can't go wrong really. <laughs> yeah, I brought in Mean Girls when we were doing the Crucible. <laughs> the girls that I was teaching at the time were like, this is just like Mean Girls. It's like, oh my goodness, yes it is. And then that was how they used to get because they really struggled with it. It was so dense. And they were just like making gifts, making memes. And I was like, go on girls, you're, you're finding a way in. And I think that's the thing about English, why we are so lucky. I just think we can take it. If you've got the time as well, you can take a topic and it can go so not in the direction that you think it's going to go in. And I just, I, yeah, I, for me, English teaching enables us to do that and really enables us to think, okay, we are going to talk about context. We are going to talk about the socioeconomic. We are going to talk about the history. We are going to talk about rights of different groups of people. And you could end up, couldn't you, just sitting and chatting to students all day long about so many things when you thought you were going to be talking about a specific text. And I just think that's the magic of it. Yeah, me too. It's so rich. Um, and I continue to learn stuff every single day because it's such a subjective subject um, that I think about something in one perspective, but a child said something else. And I think, wow, how have I not thought of that myself? So I really love English. I'm very passionate about the subject that I teach. That definitely comes across. Um, you also said something earlier which really resonated with me and I think other people who teach internationally. And it's something that I've mentioned before on the show, and it's that idea of teaching children from a completely different culture to your own. So, for example, 
I'm teaching private peaceful at the moment, tier seven. I teach the British curriculum school, but none of my students, well, a very small minority of my students are actually British. And what I found is they have no idea. They know nothing about World War One, and they know nothing about the prevalence of the poppy. Or we'll start talking about something, and then a student from India will start telling me they actually know it from the that kind of perspective. And I just absolutely love, like you said, the students make us students because we learn so much, don't we? I feel so much more culturally rich, not just from the local Emirati culture, but from the vast families and cultures and countries that I come across every single day that I would have never had in the UK. Yeah, no, I agree. Teaching in Swindon, they were all um, white, like working class kids. Um, yeah, from Swindon, who had, some of them hadn't even gone to Bristol. Um, and so their, their perspective is so narrow that, and similar to one another that it just doesn't offer um, such rich conversation, honestly, which is what I really enjoy about teaching here. So, we're kind of coming towards the end. I've got a couple of questions left for you. And honestly, Connie, thank you so much for joining me because your passion, your enthusiasm for teaching English but also teaching internationally is something that I really hope that people are enjoying engaging with because I feel like you've got a real lot to share. So my next question is kind of harnessing in on that a little bit and asking you to tell me some of the best advice you've been given or you've come across in terms of teaching both at home in the UK and internationally if you have it. Um, my number one is something I've mentioned before, but it's only a job. It's not a lifestyle, it's only a job. And then, um, my, a family member actually sat down and she's a math teacher in London. And she sat me down and said, why are you working this hard for me? This is not healthy. This is a job. This is not a lifestyle. That gave me inspiration to move away and go internationally and um, other options for enabled me to have a better quality of life so I'd say um, that's a piece of advice um, another piece of, of uh, another piece of advice which is like more for teaching like in class um, specific but my behavior management I, is all through gestures and that is something I learned through teach first actually and um, Lauren the other the other girl was doing teach first with me I just learned never to escalate a situation because they will just mirror your actions so I do everything like without speaking. So me and my class have um, many like different signs that know the meaning of. Um, and I guess I could really show you on here, but yeah, there's lots of gestures that we um, that we use for behavior management that I've shared with my team, and they also find this really useful. Um, and my final piece of advice for actual teaching is the benefit of live marking, um, and something that I could not do in the UK. And live marking is like when you mark people's uh, students' books while you're teaching, like in the class, while they're writing the essay or whatever. Because I had 35 kids, um, I really, that was difficult to do. I could only go around and like, read a sentence of each kid and be like, that's great, but that's But while I'm here and I've got eight kids, my grading doesn't really happen outside of the classroom. Most of it happens there and then, um, where I go around with different highlighters and they mean different things. Um, and I have a conversation with that child right there so they can correct their work right there because if they give them their essay back, even tomorrow or a couple of days later, they have, they have no idea. They, they're studying like 12 different subjects 
you know, I don't expect them to remember everything they wrote about in their Frankenstein essay yesterday. So I have found that live marking um, is really helpful, but that because of the context that I'm in and because I only have eight kids in my class. Eight kids in your class sounds like the absolute dream. In my previous school, we had like about 10 or 12, and I missed it. I mean, I've gone up to 20 and 24, and I'm like, that is double the marking. I love the sound of live marking. It's, again, yeah, something that is definitely more manageable maybe in a smaller class, um, but I think it can, it can be adapted, and you can definitely kind of feed into it, you know, thinking about whole class feedback and things like that that might definitely help people who have got those bigger class sizes although you really do sound like you're selling a dream to be honest Mexico City is actually sounding very very appealing um so just yeah, actually, we're looking for two English teachers um oh. next year so we, I found this out yesterday so if anyone wants to come and join us and during the dream, you're very welcome. It's called Humanitary. And we'll be advertising on TES in like February. Humanitary School in Mexico City, looking for two teachers. I'll definitely be repeating that a lot <laughs> during the show because um, that would be probably something that people would be very interested in knowing about because it does sound absolutely incredible over there. Um, so that leads me into my final question, which is more of a recap, really, because you, you covered this earlier on, but it's one of those things that I don't think you can ever hear too much about, especially when we are talking about lives as international teachers. So what advice would you give to anybody who is is considering the move to international teaching do it jump in with both feet um, embrace the not knowing uh, and go for it I would say that most schools make you sign a two-year contract um, but if you really you know if you think this is a mistake um, and you don't want to do it anymore they let you go after you know a year and a year really isn't that long of doing something um, so I, for me, it's really worth the risk. I thought I'd be here for two years. I do my contract, but I am never going to leave. <laughs> um, so I think, I think just do it and risk it and know that you can always come back. Um, I guess we couldn't when we were on the red list. That was a huge panic for us. Um, what with COVID, but you know, you can always come back. It's a flight away. Um, so, so go for it. Um, get your applications in early because international schools recruit much earlier than British schools. So I would be looking at, um, I think I wrote my cover letters and things around October half term, Christmas holiday. Um, so around now, I guess, thinking about um, getting your applications in and what does your vision look like? What countries do you want to go to? Or does that not even matter to you? What languages interest you? Um, have a little brainstorm. I, I made like a huge list and put it on my wall of all the pros and cons of different places I'd be applying to, um, and Twitter. Just, I said this, but the two women that, that told me like how to prepare Mexico, I can't thank enough. Um, yes, yeah, so use Twitter as a resource to, to ask about your potential country that you might be needing to. That's really, really, really helpful advice. And you're just like me, the expat thing. Oh, I'll do two years, I'll save some money, I'll travel a little bit and then I'll go home and I don't see myself going back either anymore and everybody I speak to pretty much says the same. I mean, I know it's not for everybody, but it really is, I think, and I say this all the time, if it's something that you're even a little bit tempted by, if you can do it, just do it.
100% agree. It's the best decision I've ever made. Connie, thank you so much for taking time out of your what was your morning um, and joining me today to talk about international teaching, leading on English and the fact that you're going to have two vacancies for English teachers in Mexico City next year. So Connie, thank you so, so much for joining me and hopefully we can have you back and we'll speak to you again soon. That would be great. Thank you for having me. That was really interesting conversation. Okay, so I am back actually live and not pre-recorded, um, having listened to my own voice for <laughs> over an hour and hearing my own doorbell go, which was great. Um, but that was a wonderful opportunity to speak with a fellow head of English in a completely different part of the world who has very, very, very similar opinions, thoughts, mindset that I have about international teaching and the international lifestyle. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me was Connie talking about getting the love back, getting the joy back, um, and teacher burnout, being the teacher that she wanted to be, and finding that the international setting was the place where that was going to be for her. I mentioned in the interview, and I have said so many times on this show before, that stigma of international teaching. We work hard. We do work hard. Um, it's not like we're here for one long holiday, definitely not. But the payoff, the reward is so, so great. I'm going to play the adverts again, and then I will be back to wrap up today's show. So bear with me, and I'll be back after this. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Okay, so thank you so much for joining me. I feel like this is like a really multi-layered show, you know, live and then recorded. I'm pretty impressed with um, my level of technical ability. Although, <laughs> I'm going to be really honest, my mum's listening. Hi, mum. She said she loved it when the doorbell rang, so... <laughs> It definitely was heard. It definitely wasn't as um, discreet as I was hoping for. I'm actually blushing <laughs> as I talk about that right now. And also admitting the fact that my mum listens. Thank you, mum, for being my number one fan. I really appreciate it. Um, so I am going to wrap up a little bit early this evening um, just because... I've had my interview with Connie. Um, next week, now that it's been successful, I'm really excited to share with you that I'm going to have Chris Jordan, another pre-recorded interview, because he is living in China. So his time difference is massively crazy the other way from where I am in the UAE. Um, Chris Jordan um, and I connected on LinkedIn. You don't hear me talk about LinkedIn very often, but we connected on LinkedIn. And I was a guest on his podcast about a month ago, maybe, six weeks. And I had a great time being interviewed um, by Chris. It was really nice to be on the other side 
of that coin for a change. Um, and so I have invited him back to join me so that he can actually be interviewed because we had a great discussion on his podcast. Um, if you want to find any of Chris's podcasts, please search for him on Twitter. If you look on my Twitter, you'll be able to find lots of retweets and links to him. And he's had some fantastic guests on there, really interesting, really thought-provoking. Um, so I'm really looking forward to having that conversation with him that you will be able to listen to on next week's show. But anyway, back to today and my wonderful guest, Connie Maitland, who is at the Humanitary School in Mexico City in Mexico. Um, as I mentioned at the start, I mean, now I feel like we're fighting over um, English teachers, but Connie did mention that she will be having adverts to go and work in her department. So if anything that she has said today is something of interest, please look her up on Twitter. Um and ask as many questions as you want. As Connie mentioned, as she was getting together with her journey to move internationally, she connected a lot with people on Twitter to help her with that massive move. Um, but also, I am advertising for two English teachers, and our school is advertising, Safa British School here in Dubai. Um, for loads, it's growing really quickly. Um, currently, we're year seven, eight, nine. Um, lovely lovely secondary school very very small but we're going to be growing every year so you will be part of the transition going from key stage three into key stage four so it's a very exciting time to be part of a growing team especially if you're thinking that the Dubai life might be something that could interest you um so just thinking very quickly and kind of recapping on a few things that Connie said there some advice um, apply early obviously, because adverts are coming out. So start looking now. Tess is always great um, for international teaching jobs. That's where I found my first job in Dubai. And as Connie was saying, you know, apply to lots of places. That's exactly what I did. I kind of applied to lots of places within Dubai and then started whittling down my options. Um, so because recruitment is opening, you want to get in there early. Um, the difference with international adverts as well is they'll quite often say that they reserve the right to um, appoint candidates before closing dates, um, which is obviously very different to how it works in the UK because, you know, as Connie mentioned, she and I have very similar experiences in terms of how we were actually interviewed. Um, I know we're a lot more in the era of Zoom and Teams and Skype and all of the above, but certainly when I was applying for jobs in 2018, that was quite um, quite a rare experience interviewing over Skype. Um, so yeah, bear that in mind. Um, second thing, do your research. So apply to lots of schools, but then when you start whittling it down, I know it sounds like grandmother's sucking eggs, but honestly, the more research you do, the better. Looking at the school, the package, because every school has a different package on offer, the location of the school, the benefits. And when I talk about the benefits, I'm talking things like housing allowance, medical cover, flights, all these kind of things that you really wouldn't necessarily always think about. And then also, especially um, in current times, but really thinking about that accessibility. Um, how easy is it right now for you to actually get there? How easy is it for you to have people come and visit you or for you to get home when you want to. Um, I've already mentioned her once, but you know I've spoken about her on the show before. The fact that my mum was finally able to come over and see me in October half term 
And that was after nearly two years. No, it was two years, more than two years since she'd been back in Dubai. So with everything that had happened, it's really nice that movement started to open again. But there are certain countries where those restrictions are still quite strong. So definitely be checking those things out. Um, and then obviously research where you're going. Like Connie, um, I'd never been to Dubai. She'd never been to Mexico. Um, I used to wake up at three o'clock in the morning with a mad panic thinking, oh my goodness me, what have I done? And start Googling the most random things. Um, but Instagram and Google really were my saviors throughout the whole thing. Um, I had lists of places I wanted to visit lined up. I knew exactly where I needed to go. Um, food shopping, all these really strange, silly things. But it definitely put my mind at rest. And that story that Connie was telling about crying on the plane, that was also me. Cried all the way to Dubai, um, thinking, what on earth have I done? Um, but then I met. So honestly, the stories are so similar. I was greeted at the airport by my then head teacher and she was just so warm and so welcoming. I thought, I think I'm going to be okay. Um, again, Connie mentioned connecting with people before you arrive. Um, Twitter, I've already said today how much I love Twitter. Um, Twitter is definitely the best place for this. And Facebook groups. Um, Facebook groups are brilliant in terms of knowledge about any and every little thing that you probably wouldn't even think about when you first started moving over to somewhere international. And then finally, and this again, I talk about stigmas, I talk about perceptions quite a lot about international teaching. I also feel very strongly, and I've mentioned this before, about people's perceptions from the media. And don't believe everything you read. You know, both Connie and I are both enjoying living in places that aren't always perceived probably the most positively through the media. But I would say definitely try and cut through that and see what you can actually get to because where I live certainly doesn't really live up to the media hype and all the, the dramas and the expectations that you see that are linked with Dubai. Um, there's definitely many, many layers and many, many sides. Anyway, that is me for today. Thank you so much for everybody that has listened, my mum included. Um, I will look forward to being back with you next week, four o'clock from UK time, eight o'clock here in Dubai. Um, I've booked my flights home, by the way, for Christmas in the UK, which I'm super excited about. I can't wait to be cold. I know I'll be regretting saying that, but I really can't. So I'm actually going to get to do one show at UK time, which is going to feel very, very, very strange. Um, but I'm already looking forward to it and thinking about how I can do a Christmas special, the drive home show, when I am actually in the UK at 4pm. But before then, I've got loads of guests lined up, including, as I mentioned already, Chris Jordan, who will be recorded but with me next week. So thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being back with you next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.